Hello and welcome to the Lonely Girl Lifestyle Podcast. Today's episode is a very special episode because it's a story time. Our first story time features Kate, a girl who found loneliness so unbearable that she turned to alcohol for companionship. Before listening to Kate's story, let's learn a little bit about the symbol of the lotus. All over India, the iconic lotus flower grows in canals and swamps, even in the most heavily polluted ones. Despite its regal blossom, the lotus comes from humble beginnings. Its seed is planted in the muck at the bottom of a murky pond. Although far beneath the surface of the water, the lotus root takes hold and the shoot starts to search for the sun. Symbolically, the sun represents illuminated knowledge or ultimate truth. Rays of light refract as they move through the water. This is what causes a straw to look bent in a glass of water. This refraction makes it challenging to see the sun clearly from beneath the surface of the water. But the lotus still knows it has to rise up through the water to catch the clearest of rays. Once on top of the water, the blooming lotus takes care that none of its petals touch the murky water. It opens its pink petals and turns its face to the light in a simple gesture, rejoicing in its discovery. Looking at the flower, one would have no idea that it came from such murky beginnings. Alana Kaivalya. So my name is Kate. Um, I, yeah, I teach yoga. Um, I also do digital marketing for a full-time position, but yoga is a huge, huge passion of mine, and I'm excited to be here with Gabby tonight. I think I got into yoga around probably 21-ish. I'm 34 now, so it's been a minute. Um, but I started doing yoga after I threw my back out with a herniated disc, and I was a Germ- living in Germany at the time, and it was so bad that I couldn't even walk. And I remember seeing cat and cow somewhere like a maybe even a Pilates class but I knew it was a yoga move so I started doing cat and cow every single day and I noticed a huge improvement with my back and my spine so I was kind of hooked at that point or it was definitely the catalyst that helped my journey grow Um, after that I spun out of control drinking for a good seven to ten years Um, and kind of lost sight of yoga. It was always a part of my life, but drinking was definitely in the forefront of it all. I took a um, class in college, which was a yoga class, and I think it was even like um, a yoga course, so it wasn't just one class. It was like a full semester of yoga, which I wish I could do again, Um, And I think that's where I learned some of the moves. Or maybe, I don't know, it could have been on social media. Like, who knows? It's um, Yoga wasn't as popular as it is now, but it was definitely around. So you could could see certain moves. And I might have even YouTubed, like, postures for the spine and saw cat and cow. But it was cat and cow that was, like, the, the piece that really helped me. And continue to do yoga. So like I mentioned earlier, I was I was living in Germany and this huge amount of loneliness hit me there. That was the first time that 
I felt so alone that I needed alcohol to be my friend. Um, so I would drink myself to sleep pretty much all the time. And I started doing like weird stuff with alcohol, like hiding it in my laundry basket. <laughs> it's so weird. Um, but I didn't have any friends there and it was, it was hard to like assimilate into the culture. So, so my drinking career progressed more than my yoga career for quite a while. Um, but it's interesting because I did a yoga teacher training while, um, drinking. Um, and I don't even consider that to be like a part of my yoga teacher journey at all because there was such a fog over the whole journey. I felt like I didn't really learn much and I was preoccupied with my other life, which was getting wasted all the time. Um, so I did my first yoga teacher training back in 2012. Um, and then I actually did another one in Boulder, Utah, or Boulder, Colorado. So I did another yoga teacher training in Boulder, Colorado, which was also interesting because it was a um, 12-step recovery YTT or yoga teacher training. And I was drinking during that as well. So it was kind of unstoppable with the drinking. Um, but ultimately, I've been sober now for five and a half years, and yoga met me right at that moment of sobriety. Um, instead of going to meetings, I would take a yoga class and I would just keep going, keep going. And I found so much spirituality, so much comfort, so many friendships even um, just by being in that yoga community and, and also a friendship with myself. I think that was huge too, the relationship that you create for yourself on your mat um, is just so incredible through yoga. So, um, so then I did yoga teacher training again um, in 2017. Um, and I did that one sober and there was just an immense amount of clarity and learning and just opening that came with that process. Um, so yoga 10 years ago was kind of a foreign entity to me. Yoga today is this kind of all encompassing lifestyle that I keep with me everywhere I go. Yeah, and it was almost like it was always meant to be there. I always wanted to be a teacher. I always wanted to do, like, dance or something really creative. Uh, I always gravitated uh, gravitated towards, like, the elements of yoga. Um, but I never understood it fully until, I guess, I just took a deep dive into it. I have a voice and something I'd like to share. And... I would get so inspired by seeing other teachers. So I moved to Germany to for a guy, actually. Um, I, had a, I met a guy in high school who was German on a foreign, foreign exchange program. And um, we were dating on and off for years. And I decided, like, hey, why not move to Germany and make this a real long-term relationship? So I, I moved there. Um, we got an apartment together. I went into a language program, so like eight hours a day immersed in the German culture and language. I ended up getting my master's over there and also um, working over there for a, a big company. But all the while, you know, because I didn't know the language 100%, because I knew the language 
just so I could order like a sandwich at Subway or something, you know. Um, I knew the language enough, but not enough to play with the language or like make jokes and really feel like I could share my personality with people there. Um, I had a hard time feeling like myself and making friends um, and also relying solely on my boyfriend at the time. That was really difficult. So um, I was always drinking. The That's the, the heavy, weird drinking started in Germany where I would start hiding my alcohol like in very strange places um, to, and I would start drinking our entire liquor cabinets and my boyfriend would be like, the hell happened in here? You know, like, um, I started getting sneaky and, and very isolated in Germany, but I had always drank, but I think I drank at a more like quote unquote normal level. Like I would go out and party with my friends one night and then not drink again for like two weeks or whatever. But it was always something that was really fun to me. And I felt like I could, um, escape, escape all that crap in my head, all my anxiety, all my fears, all my worries, my anxieties, my loneliness, all the stuff that was going on. Drinking would just kind of push that away and I would just feel good. And it was such a, um, a blessing almost it felt like until then it wasn't, but (laughs) right. So I, so I always had the relationship to alcohol, knowing it was like my saving grace for loneliness, my saving grace for anxiety. It was like almost like my drug or my medicine, so to speak, to make me feel better. Um, I already had that in the back of my head. So then when I did move to Germany and I did feel super alone, um, didn't have friends, didn't understand the culture, I felt kind of left out. Alcohol was like exactly what I needed and what I turned to to make it all go away. So, yeah, I, um, my drinking was kind of off the charts. And I remember I went to Oktoberfest <laughs> and I had way too much to drink and got into a fight with um, my boyfriend at the time. And I was just yelling at him, like, why can't you accept me for me? Why do I have to be so German, right? Like, because I'm not German, I'm American. And I think that was what the fight was about. It was stupid, regardless of what it was. But I got so overwhelmed with anger, and I'm not really an angry person at all, but I turned around and I kicked the glass door that was in our apartment, and my foot went straight through this door, and I just destroyed my Achilles tendon, which is kind of interesting, right? The Achilles heel is like the that soft spot that we all kind of have. Well, like, I literally tore mine in Germany, <laughs> so... Um, but I... Um, That took a long time to heal, obviously. And right around that time, um, I was put in a boot and I was walking around Munich in a boot for three months. And because I was walking all strange, like an 80-year-old woman, like limping, um, I threw my back out because of that. And that's how it happened. My spine got all like disoriented. Um, So right around Christmas is when my back just spasmed and... um, I eventually was able to fly home to the U.S. to get my foot, foot, <laughs> um, to get surgery for my foot, and then uh, my back healed with that. 
And then that I had lots of painkillers, so I wasn't drinking then, right? Because I was doing, I had surgery, so I was fine. Um, I never gave up on Germany, though. I I kept applying to jobs in Germany, and I got an interview at a, an aerospace company that was close by where I was living in Munich. And this is while I was in the U.S. still. So this is a crazy dream. Like, who, who thinks like this? But um, they said that I could come in for an interview. So I flew there in a boot with, with my broken foot. And I remember I got off the plane, didn't sleep, went straight to the interview, switched the boot into, like, a real shoe, went into the interview, hobbled in, got the job, put my boot back on, and then started just living back in Germany once again thinking that everything was fine and I didn't have a problem with drinking. Um, but it deteriorated from there. There, I just, um, it, my relationship went south with my boyfriend and he kept telling me I need help with my drinking and the things just got really ugly. So um, I flew back for like Christmas or some holiday to see family and he broke up with me while I was home and it was really messed up because I still had like dirty laundry in my laundry basket you know I still had like all my shit there so I just it was unexpected and then I just I never left I never went back there again after we broke up and he just shipped me all my stuff which was devastating you know to like go through that and that when that happened I locked myself in my room in my parents house for two weeks straight with a bottle of Jägermeister and there are still stains because I don't know what the fuck I was doing but I was like throwing Jägermeister around like there are stains on the walls in that room in my parents house on the carpeting like what was I doing I have no idea but I got really upset and um I guess rightfully so but that was that was a rough period in my life um so (laughs) this next part's pretty crazy actually I don't know if I told you this either oh my god um, so I was living, uh, in New-, New Hampshire with my parents, just broke up with my boyfriend. Um, so after I broke up with my boyfriend in Germany, I moved to Philadelphia and I lived in Philadelphia for about six years after, um, I got back from Germany, maybe five years. Um, in Philly, that's where I did my first yoga teacher training. Um, so that really, kind of sparked some of the yoga that I have in my life or that I have as a part of my recovery now. Um, but I was drinking the entire time I, I did my first yoga teacher training. But I also, I got a, a job um, in the plus size fashion industry, which is pretty funny because I was like a double zero at the time. <laughs> but um, no, it was a fabulous job. It was fun. And um I partied really hard in Philly, but I don't regret any of it. I think those were like the years of my life. Um, but towards the end of the six years living in Philly, I um, it started to take a turn and I started losing friendships, um, you know, relationships, losing jobs, just losing, losing, losing just every second. And I became very isolated and very lonely and I would do weird things as usual I would like steal my roommate's beer out of the fridge and like, and he would just come home and be like, what the hell? Like, where's all my beer? And I'd just be wasted in my bed with beer cans everywhere. Like, what is that? 
Um, and for anyone who knows me today, that's just probably comical. Um, but anyway, I um, left my apartment and I decided in, in Philadelphia and decided I wanted to go to a treatment center. So my first rehab was in New York, and it was actually where the big book was written, which is kind of interesting by Bill W. So he wrote basically the book of Alcohols Anonymous um, at this treatment center. So I thought like this is about to work, but I left that center and 24 hours later I drank heavily. Um, and at that point, why did I drink heavily? Oh, I just felt like I didn't have a problem. I was like, well, whatever. I just like, I, I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready to quit drinking. Uh, cause my life was just a mess. I couldn't keep a job. I was drinking during the day. I was blacked out in meetings at work and I was working for like a top SEO firm at the time. And like, you can't do that. Right. So, so when you're, when you're drinking to a certain, if you're drinking to a certain level or a certain amount, you don't just get a, um, like a psychological dependence, you get a physical dependence. And when your body's physically dependent on alcohol, and you come off of it, you go through withdrawals, and it's very scary. Like, you shake, and you sweat, and you could potentially have a seizure, and you could potentially even die. So um, I was terrified to go through any of that. I knew I needed to stop, so I went to a treatment center. I knew I had a problem, but it didn't matter. My addiction was bigger than me, and I didn't have any roots or grounding to, like, kind of center me to where I needed, you know, to where I could function without booze. Um, so, so when I was sober for 30 days after leaving treatment, my addiction, which is like a voice in my head was just like, go, go to the liquor store, like, go get some more. You're fine. You've been sober for 30 days. And I was like, heck yeah, <laughs> let's do it. So, um, so that started another spiral. And this is actually the crazy, the crazy bit. And I always say, if I ever wrote a book, this is where the book would start, because I think it's funny. Um, <laughs> so I was living at home once again with my family after treatment center number one. And <laughs> I was drinking heavily, surprise. And um, I ran out of alcohol and I couldn't drive because I was drinking. And my um, my mother was home. and She's a very like stern woman. So she wasn't having me drinking. I would just hide it from them and just drink in my room and just tell them I was depressed or whatever. And they'd leave me alone. But anyway, on this particular day, I didn't have alcohol. So I pretended like I was going <clears throat> for a run <laughs> and I put on my running shorts and I put a wine cork opener, wine bottle opener in my running shorts because I had no intention of running. I had every intention of running too the local gas station down the street from my house so that I could pick up some wine. Um, so I told my mom I was going for a run, ran through the woods, ran to the store to get a bottle of wine. I went into the back of the store and I just drew, opened the bottle with the, the cork thing I had in my shorts and drank the whole thing to my face, the whole wine bottle passed out in 
the woods behind the gas station. And I woke up like on a log, like, <laughs> like a pillow, like the log with my pillow. And I just like was like, whoa, what, where am I? And it's completely in a daze. And I ran out of this woods and there was like a, a basketball court there with some high school kids playing. And I just ran out to them like a zombie, like this woman emerging from... <laughs> from the woods with running shorts on and like a logged press face and probably stank like booze running out of the woods. And I was like, can I have your cell phone? <laughs> like I have to call my dad. And I, <laughs> I called my dad and he picks me up. The next day I went to treatment center number two. Uh, treatment center two was in New York as well. Um, but this one was interesting because it didn't practice um, abstinence from drinking. Like it, they, they taught you that you can drink one day, like, in, you know, like you don't have a problem. You just need to like fix your, I don't know what they, they basically didn't say like that I had a problem. And that was great news to me. I was like, awesome. I don't have a problem. I'm going to get out of here and I'm going to do something else. Like, I don't want to be inside a treatment center. So while I was living there, I started applying to jobs in San Francisco. That was always my dream to live in California. So I applied to all these jobs and I heard back from one of them and they offered me an interview. So I left that treatment center and bought a one-way ticket um, to San Francisco and just had a lousy little suitcase with like four outfits in it and just decided I'd make a life for myself there. But I did the entire thing blacked out. Like the entire plane ride, I don't remember. Um, I don't even know where I slept. Like it's weird. I know. I ha I stayed at this like very strange military hotel, but it was weird and creepy. It was like an old building and like my aunt knew someone that hooked me up with that place, but it was, it was weird. Um, so I went on the interview. I was actually sober for the interview, which was a big, big deal for me. Um, ended up getting the job and then ended up um, finding an apartment there and moving there. But my life got so crazy living there. I, it was kind of like riding this wave and it was soon like it was going to crash any second now. And I, I knew it was happening, but like my life was just spinning so fast. I didn't know what to do. So I got to the point where I was drinking like four bottles of wine a day, maybe six wild. And I would just buy a coconut water in the morning, dump the coconut water out and pour a wine bottle inside of it <laughs> and just go to work. And Whenever someone would be like, hey, can I have a sip of your coconut water? I'd be like, no, no, uh, it's gross. It's warm or something. You know, I'd make something up. So um, believe it or not, I got fired from that job. <laughs> um, about nine months later, big surprise there. And that's what led me to go into treatment center number three, which is my last and final treatment center. Well, not going well, but. That one was in, in Utah, Provo, Utah, of all places. And um, I did not get sober at that treatment center, but it definitely like paved the way 
towards recovery and, and towards moving into the right direction and towards where I am now. Oh, well, so yeah, I got fired from my job. That was in around October and I was dating a clown <laughs> at the time. <laughs> Not kidding. My life was weird. Um, I mean, he wasn't like a full clown, but clown school and like acrobatics is big in San Francisco. So it wasn't like that weird, but he did wear a tail sometimes. So <laughs> anyway, but um, so he also dumped me around that time. Like things just kept going down, down, down. So um, my parents flew a lady out from the treatment center in Utah and she packed my bags for me because I was that disoriented. I think I got up to like six to eight bottles of wine by that point. Like I couldn't function without mm -hmm. alcohol. Um, so she packed my bags, got me on the, the flight. I puked the whole way there. I actually sat next to an alcoholic woman on the flight and she offered me vodka that she snuck on the plane with her and I was like is this freaking like for real like this is just nuts um and of course I said no because I I did want to get better um and at that treatment center it was three months long um they taught me their they like to call it life skills but it's stuff that I already knew like I know how to do laundry and cook so it was a yeah, it was a young adult treatment center and I just made the cutoff. I was the only one there with a college education. I was the only one there with an alcohol addiction. Mostly everyone there had an opioid addiction. So um I felt a little bit like just different, I guess, and old. <laughs> um but once I left there, I moved to a place in Salt Lake City called Sugar House and I still, still after all of that stuff decided like I wanted to party and fit in with my roommates at the time and I started off small I just had like a little glass of like a sip of red wine here and there a sip of a beer and then it just went right back to my full-blown addiction mm -hmm. and I remember it was Halloween in Salt Lake City after treatment and we had a big Halloween party and I told everyone I wasn't drinking but I went to the liquor store bought a bottle of red wine because I thought that's not what I drink. I drink white wine. So therefore this will be better for me and this will be okay. And I hid it in my laundry basket, which is one of my favorite hiding spots. Um, fun fact. <laughs> and before all the guests arrived, I just chugged the whole thing to my face again. And, and like, it just hit me once again, like, Kate, like you can't drink. Like, this is, and then that night, no, the next morning, I drank all my roommate's alcohol. I was just like a tornado, like anywhere there was booze to be found. And it finally, finally dawned on me that I, like a light bulb went off in my brain. And I can't explain it. I mean, it was, it was just like a inner knowing that. I needed to be sober and there was no going back and there was no looking back. There was no questioning anymore. Like, can I maybe just have a beer? Like people ask me that question all the time. Like, can you just have a beer in like five years from now? Like, and my answer is straight up. No, even when my addictive brain starts to like play with the idea of drinking, my gut instinct is just like, fuck no. Like it's just a hard no for me. So, um, so that light bulb went off on November 5th, 2014, 
and I went to a meeting the next morning and it was daylight savings time. I didn't sleep the whole night. And I remember I had to wait an extra hour because of that time change. So it was like even more torturous. But when I got to the meeting at 6 a.m., yeah. The right feeling before. that made you want to be sober, I want to know. The feeling that made me, ooh, that's a hard question. The feeling that made me want to get sober, um, I felt disgusting. I felt like my skin was crumbling or crawling and crumbling. I also felt like leathery. I felt broken. I felt um, just destroyed mentally, physically, like it was just, and, and it's funny because I'm a perfectionist slightly just by nature. And if you were to meet me on the street, you would probably never know that I was an alcoholic by how I presented myself. My hair was always done. I always looked presentable. Um, that was always kind of my, my gimmick or my schnick or whatever you call it, <laughs> my thing. You could never tell. Um, but on the inside, I was deteriorating, like wholeheartedly deteriorating. And um, so I think I hit a lot of people when they get sober, they talk about rock bottom. And I don't think I ever hit a bottom in what's like society portrays in movies and books and things like that. Like someone like sitting by a gutter, like with a bottle of alcohol. I mean, I sat by a log with a bottle of alcohol, but that wasn't my bottom yet. You know, my bottom was literally just me in my bedroom. Like, I don't want to do this anymore. It was very simple. It was very like clear, just a moment of clarity that just hit me. Like this sucks. I'm done. Um, I don't think so. I wasn't as spiritually connected as I am now. Like the the spirituality, my yoga, my relationship with the universe, with God, um, that all kind of transpired within my sobriety. So the, the moment that I got sober, I wouldn't say it was like a call from the divine or like the light shined through my window. And I just knew like, I wish I could say that stuff. I wish I got chills and it all just happened. But it was something just, I always say a light bulb. So maybe it was a light inside my head that just said like enough's enough. And then it was courage to pick up the phone and, you know, call my support system that I had in place. And, and I poured out the alcohol. Oh, and I didn't get to this part. So I went to um, a meeting in Salt Lake and the meeting was, it was full of old men and me. (laughs) And I just walked in there and they were like, you know, just, just not a scene I was comfortable with, especially like super anxious and hungover and a mess and broken and all the things I was. So I walk in this room with these old, old men, like think like motorcycle mustaches, like they had like, flannel and you know it was just it was that scene and I wanted to leave I wanted to run out that door so I lasted for like a minute or two I was about to bolt and a woman came in the room as if out of nowhere with this massively beautiful smile and she looked as if she had a halo around her head and she just picked me up 
and said, I'll help you. And she took me out of the room with all the men and she sat with me for three hours outside the AA meeting. Um, and I, I get goosebumps just talking about her because she was such an angel and um, made sure that I was sober the rest of that day. And then that's kind of how it happened. Like she kept me safe that day. She made sure all the alcohol was out of the house. Um, she just gave me pointers on what to do and, and how to, how she does it, her recovery. And, and we still keep in touch to this day. She's just a wonderful shining light in my life. And she still has that huge smile. And I, when I saw her, I was like, I want that smile. I want that vibrancy, that life that she carries. I want to help someone like, like she's helped me one day, you know? So, um, so I think it was just a combination of a lot of things. But honestly, I think if she never walked in, though, I would have left that meeting and probably contemplated drinking yet again. Um, but to this day, I haven't touched alcohol for about five and a half years now. So that's been huge, obviously, just a massive change for me. Um, but I did want to mention journaling. Um, journaling was like a huge part of my like uh, pre-recovery process. I don't know what the word is for that, but well, my like drinking days, I would journal a ton. And and when I journal, it was kind of fascinating because all my journal entries while I was living in San Francisco would be scribbles because I'd be that drunk, just scribbles. I would know, it, and I would write things like "help me," and then scribbles. And pages would be crumpled up because of my tears landing on the journal. Like, it was so sad. And it's it's really cool for me to have all these journal entries. I mean, no, they're not all like that. They're not all scribbles and they're not all helpies. But they're, I would say, 99. And I probably have 10 journals full of stuff of just me saying, like, something's wrong with me. I need help. I don't know what to do. I'm so anxious. I can't stop drinking. I fucked up again. Like, they all say the same thing. Um, but sometimes it just takes time to, to hear your inner voice, to hear your truest self and acknowledge that you need to change. And it doesn't always happen like on the first try, you don't always hit the bullseye on the first try. So for me, it was about like 2000 attempts or something, (laughs) but you know, eventually I hit a stride and I'm just going to keep that going. And what helps me the most to stay sober, to kind of deal with my inner demons, my loneliness, my anxieties, um, even depression, um, for me in my recovery is yoga. Absolutely. That is my recovery is yoga. Um, I love taking, teaching um, every aspect that yoga embodies the philosophy behind it um it's like my religion it's like my new drug it's just incredible the way it um complements recovery and has helped me on my journey so if i were to tell someone that's in a similar situation that i was in or if you are right now struggling and feeling like you need help with either addiction or mental health or any of that stuff. I just want to say that for one thing, like 
you are beautiful and normal and don't be ashamed to ask for help. There is a stigma out there, but it's, it's not breaking, but it's diminishing and help is definitely out there and you just have to want it to be open, be open to the gifts that others might give you or be open to suggestions that others might give you, but be open to recovery. Um, as scary as that might sound, um, for me, the thought of getting sober, like alcohol was my everything. It was my best friend. It was my lover. It was my uh, food at one point. Like it was just, you know, an all encompassing piece of me and to give that up seemed like a death sentence but it doesn't have to be so asking for help and no matter how dark it is the light is always there and the quote that I always always use is no mud no lotus so you have to kind of go through the darkness the shit the dirt the uncomfortable feeling in life sometimes and always, without a doubt, you will bloom into a lotus or you'll grow into the light. It's just like the way the universe works. So just know that you will survive and you will thrive. And recovery is absolutely 100% possible. Like you don't have to live a life in fear and a life that revolves around a drug or substance or a disorder. Like there is totally a way out. Um, just stay open and and you'll find your path. I don't go to meetings like most people do. Like I said, yoga is my my way, but there's thousands of other ways and there's just so many different ways to stay sober. And it's not just like meetings and, and bowling. It's like, it's actually quite fun. And my life now is like infinite leaps and bounds times a thousand million, 20,000 times better than it was when I was drinking. So I don't miss it. And that's a huge statement to say from someone who's drinking eight bottles of wine a day and blacked out for most of her 20s. So <laughs> yeah. What an amazing story by Kate. Thank you for listening to Kate's story. And thank you, Kate, for sharing. She really is like a lotus flower. If you have a story you'd like to share, please email me at the Lonely Girl Lifestyle Podcast. As always, please rate, review, and subscribe if that suits you well. You can find me on Instagram at the Lonely Girl Podcast and Twitter the Lonely Girl and the Number One. Music by Gmusic801. You can find him on Instagram under that same name. Recording and editing by me, Lonely Girl. And remember. Loneliness is no longer a bad thing. Until next time, thank you for listening.